from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in, the, in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But the householders replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into his house, into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Jesus, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. There are certain parables that I have never been a huge fan of. This is one of those. So often when we read parables like today's text in Matthew, we have been told that this is biblical proof and example of God's punishment for sinners, for unbelievers, for bad people. It has been read as a description of hell and used in all kinds of ways to describe who will end up there. And usually in a church setting, the who tend to be people on the outside, people who aren't in church on Sunday or aren't in the right church on Sunday. People who aren't good Christians, whatever that means. Basically, the who is an ever-growing list of people who are deemed not good enough for the kingdom by whoever is making that particular list that day. And they might even say that they don't judge, but they read texts like this and seem pretty certain that they know who's who on that list they're making. And so there are two ways to hear that kind of message. First one is, well, I'm here at church today. I'm a Christian. I do my best to do all the right things. I'll be safe. I'm the wheat in this story. No furnace for me. And sometimes this might be with some grief for those who are part of that ever-growing list of weeds. Some grief for those who will end up in this furnace hell that they're talking about. But often there's a sense of release, a relief, and sometimes even, if not lots, a sense of self-righteousness in being part of the good ones. The second way to hear this message given by well-meaning people is, wait, wait, if I don't make the cut, what if I've sinned too much? What if I'm a weed growing among wheat? How do I know? Sometimes this might be with a great deal of grief or worry or anxiety, and sometimes with a lot of anger. This anger goes towards God, towards the church, towards Jesus. I can tell you it often doesn't end well. It doesn't end with a deep relationship with God. And how would the disciples actually have heard this parable in Jesus' explanation? Would they have understood the furnace to be a symbol of God's punishment, of a place in the afterlife, as hell as our culture seems to understand it today? Probably not. 
So let's talk about furnaces in the Bible. The word furnace or kiln has been used 26 times in the Old Testament and four times in the New. The New Testament occurrences are twice in our text today from Matthew and then twice in Revelation. Uh, in Revelation, it's once talking about how golden shoes are made and then another time talking about smoke coming from a particular place. We don't need to talk about that. Revelation is a crazy book and we'll talk about it another time. But the 26 occurrences of the furnace or kiln in the Old Testament, out of all of those, only three times could furnace possibly have been used as a symbol of God's punishment, and that happens in the book of Ezekiel. So before we talk about God's punishment, let's get the easy ones out of the way. There were four times where furnace or kiln was used to either just describe something literal, like Moses taking ashes from a furnace as part of the plagues in Exodus, or as a way to describe a people. Isaiah describes Jerusalem this way. Twice, furnace or kiln is used as a physical form for God. In Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and in this ancient tradition, the way that you would make these sorts of promises is by splitting meat down a row on two pieces, having one on each side, and those making the agreement would walk down the center together. Instead of a messenger, an angel, or a cloud, it's a kiln, a furnace, that somehow floats down the center of this to signify God's promise to Abraham. And then in Exodus, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, God's presence is in a billowing cloud of smoke, like one from a furnace. But most often, 13 times actually, furnace is used to describe a place that God saves from. Three times throughout the Hebrew Bible, Egypt is referred to as the furnace that God saved the Hebrews from, that God delivered the, the Hebrews from. In our text today from Daniel that uh, Dana very beautifully read, thank you for that, Oh, I know, it was a long one. It's actually ten times we see the word furnace in this story, and it's regarding King Nebuchadnezzar's punishment for not worshipping his statue, and the way in which God saves Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego from that blazing furnace. Veggie Tales has totally trained me on those three names, by the way. So six times in the Old Testament, a furnace is used to describe refining, purifying, or changing. You can find that in Proverbs, Psalms, Isaiah, and even the condemning text from Ezekiel. As I mentioned before, the one and only time that furnace might be used as a symbol of God's punishment is in Ezekiel in chapter 22. And Ezekiel has some really harsh words for Israel as the Hebrews have once again disappointed God. Ezekiel talks about the furnace as a place where God's anger will send the Hebrews but also as a place of changing them, refining them, purifying them, bringing them back to God. We often think of this Matthew text as an explanation of hell, as Jesus talking about God's punishment for unbelievers, for sinners, for people who good Christians just have to deal with until Jesus comes again. But the disciples listening in their context probably wouldn't have thought of the furnace as God's punishment, but rather as a place where God is working either in who God is, where God saves from, or how God refines and purifies. And so what kind of furnace are we talking about here in Matthew? Which one is it? And to sort of dive into that a little bit more, we have to understand who or what are the children of the kingdom and who or what are the children of the evil one. What is Jesus talking about here? And so a quick refresher, the literal meaning of wheat Wheat is the grain used to make bread, pasta, cake, beer, basically everything good. And I love wheat. Like, it's just like, carbs are really dangerous. <laughs> and 
Also, the weeds that Jesus are talking about, is he's talking about here, are actually probably something called darnel. And darnel, when it first started to grow, looked like wheat, but as it matured, you could see that the leaves weren't quite right. And the problem is that the grain that comes from darnel was poisonous. And this practice of sowing darnel in competing fields was so common in ancient Mesopotamia that Rome had a law on the books about it. So basically, as Jesus describes in his explanation, the weeds, the children of the evil one, are a kind of poison. But what if weeds, this poison, these children, are not necessarily whole people, as some understandings of this text have said? What if this isn't about who's in and who's out, but about all of creation? Paul tells us in our Romans text that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul tells us that all of creation is affected by sin. All of creation is groaning with the brokenness and poison of sin, not just people, but the entire world. This is greed, doubt, anger, brokenness, and also illness, disasters. This is sin both within ourselves and within everything. And within creation there is pain and suffering, but there is also joy and new life. As the weeds poison, the wheat feeds. The wheat grains are the fruits of the Spirit, the children of the kingdom. This grain, this fruit, these children are not necessarily whole people, but pieces. Pieces of ourselves and pieces of creation. The wheat, the Spirit, brings love, joy, peace, and also healing, faith, new life, and miracles. And the truth is, as Martin Luther has said, we are both. We are sinner and saint, weeds and wheat. We can't read this text and see a black and white version of who's in and who's out, because the truth is, if we do that, nobody is in. When Jesus says that all causes of sin and all evildoers will be gathered up and thrown into the furnace, a better translation is all causes of sin and all those who do lawlessness. 1 John chapter 3 tells us that everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness, because sin is lawlessness. So if the weeds, if the children of the evil one who will be gathered up and thrown into the furnace are all causes of sin and those who make lawlessness, and lawlessness is any sin, if this parable is really about God's punishment, about who's in and who's out, then wouldn't all of us end up in the furnace? Don't all of us fall short of God? And so I don't think Jesus is talking about a furnace of punishment. I don't think he's talking about hell or about who's in or who's out. I think Jesus is talking about a furnace that refines, that purifies, that changes. And a furnace that God is working in, that God is saving from. In Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the furnace after they have defied King Nebuchadnezzar, the flames were so hot that the men who threw them in perished. And yet the king can see them inside the fire, and the king says, But I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has an appearance of a god. Reading this text as a Christian, who else would be in the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who else would brave pain and suffering and death? Who else would conquer all of these things? Who else but Jesus? Who else but Jesus? On the cross, Jesus walks into the fire for us. Jesus comes to us in the furnace of our lawlessness, of our poisonous sin. On the cross, Jesus dies so that all causes of sin and sin itself can be destroyed like poisonous grain in a fire. Jesus rises from the dead to make us righteous, to purify us in baptismal waters, to call us God's children. Paul says all of creation will be reconciled, will be adopted as children of God, and there will be redemption for our bodies. 
In Jesus' resurrection, God adopts us, redeems us, and will resurrect us. God calls us to be children of the kingdom and to take part in God's kingdom here and now. God saves those who are thrown into the furnace, and God uses fire to make changes in us. And in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the change occurred in King Nebuchadnezzar. How might Jesus be changing you? How might Jesus be calling you to be made new? How might you, as a beloved child of God, as a child of the kingdom, as a child forgiven, both sinner and saint, weed and wheat, be bringing this kingdom into the world? I keep saying it because it's true. This isn't about who's in and who's out. This isn't even about hell as we understand it in our culture. This parable is about our birth as part of creation into lawlessness and sin. And this parable is about the way Jesus comes to us in the furnace and adopts us as children of the kingdom, as heirs with Jesus, so that our sinful, lawless selves can be destroyed and made into something absolutely new and absolutely embodied in the love and mercy we are given through Jesus. As King Nebuchadnezzar says, there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. No other God is able to save like this. There is no other who can love you this way, who can forgive you this way, who can be in a relationship with you this way. There is no other God like our God, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no one who saves like Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.